Welcome to the Become Who You Are podcast, a production of the John Paul II Renewal Center. I'm Jack Rickert, your host. Hey, thanks for joining me today. St. Catherine of Siena said that if you become who you are, that you would literally set the world on fire. And St. Athanasius, an early church father and the doctor of the church, said the Son of God became man so that we might become God. You know, I make a wild guess at this, but I bet you most of us are a bit disconnected from this divine life that these saints are pointing us to. Yet St. John Paul II said there's an echo of the story of this divine life that we're created for inscribed in each human heart, in your human heart. And if you put on the proper lens, if I put on the proper lens, we can get in touch with this echo within us in such a way that we have that aha moment. See, that's the genius of John, St. John Paul II's theology of the body. It connects our lived experience of life to the gospel in such a way that our life takes on a whole new meaning and helps us answer those big questions that our whole culture is so confused about today. Who am I? What's my purpose? Why were we created male and female? How do I find happiness here on earth? How do I find love that satisfies forever? Hey, glad you're with me. I'll be right back for today's episode. I'm back, and we are freezing. Linda, it's not so cold by you, but it is 13 below with the wind chill factor. Of course, my furnace is still working, so I'm warm in here. I think I have a psychological cold, kind of a chill going through me, but I'll stop complaining. Uh, and I, I remember it well, Jack. Oh, <laughs> We're my a gosh. balmy 23 degrees here oh, in Pennsylvania. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice, nice. And You know, so 23 in Pennsylvania, I'm going out the other way. I'm going... For your east, I'm going west at the end of this week to to see our youngest grandchild just for a couple of days, quick, a long drive, stay there for a day, and a long drive back. But yeah. it's it's going to be 50 when I'm there in Denver, for Pete's sakes, wow. right? Wow, so, awesome! <laughs> here we are, here we are, huh? in the in the belly of the beast, full of yeah. sin and evil with this government we have here in Illinois, and in the middle of all of that evil, uh, we have this cold, right? This this uh, yes. this Cold. And I guess this is all part of, of global warming, I guess. That's uh, right? just what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they blame the cold on global warming and they blame the warm on, on global warming. And it's just uh, insanity. But that's the world where we live in, right? It's just an insane world. And this is so good to go back to John Paul's uh, work. You know, this is our second episode back since Christmas break. This is number 77 that John Paul presented on April 17th, 1982. He's talking about the vocation of historical man, fallen man, and there's two ways to do this. We're either going to be married or we give up this marriage and continence for the kingdom of heaven. So we choose, we freely choose to skip marriage. So they're very, very interesting. And, and both of marriage between man and woman and to skip this earthly marriage and go right into the heavenly marriage in essence. Uh, both of these are assigns, uh, Linda, aren't they? They're the two bookends. Yeah. It starts the, the this mm -hmm. this whole story starts in the in a marriage of Adam and Eve in the Garden of of Eden in, in the book of Genesis. It ends in the book of Revelation with the marriage of Christ and the church. So one sign is directly pointing to where we're going. One sign is is pointing back to our creation as in the Imago Day in the image and likeness of God. So they're joining. These are these these are not as separate as they sound. You know, they're very joined together in a beautiful link. And Christ right. comes in and he's he, he talks about the beauty of, of both. 
And so that's kind of what we want to dive into here. Yeah, that anchor that we must never forget about is, yes, the Imago Dei made in the image and likeness of God in that duality of male and female, he mm. created them. And if we lose track of that, then we're just floundering all over the places we can see in our culture today. Because if we're rejecting and denying our male and femaleness, you know, that that's just something we have in our heads, then we see that we have lost that identity and nothing can work right from there. So as we're in the second part of theology of the body, looking at the vocation, we have to say, you know, have I really understood what my identity is first? So we're always keeping that in the back of our minds, aren't we, Jack? Yeah, and and being created male and female is is really about giving to one another, is just pouring out the spousal analogy, looking back again, a sign of the Trinitarian love story, which is a, the Trinity is, a, is an eternal exchange of love. And then we bring this out into the world through marriage and the family. Yet, yet, even before marriage and the family, there's original solitude. And original solitude is this deep relationship that both male and female, both man and woman, Adam and Eve, but all of us have, before we can become great lovers, even in marriage, we are anchored in God's love, in the eternal love story. If we're disconnected from that, we really don't have anything to give. At the end of the day, you can't give what you don't have. And so we have that in original solitude. What does that mean? That means we're different than the rest of creation. We are the liaison between creation and God himself. And so we are priest, prophet, and king. You know, we're the priest that, that, that goes into the world, and we lift all of this up in honor of God to thank him for everything that he's poured down on us. It's just a, it's just a thanksgiving for life itself. Prophet, that, that we even speak this, this prophetic voice through our bodies, and our bodies tell the story that we're not complete. We're called to give our, our lives to each other. And then finally, King, you know, we are the to have dominion over all of this creation in this in this little world called the earth, small in comparison to the universe, but we were given this to say, let's bring God's love into all of creation. And so that's what that means. So it's so beautiful to do. So let's start with with Matthew 19. And Matthew 19, before I get into John Paul specifically, is talking about uh, continents for the kingdom here, and that's verse 10. But before we get to verse 10, right above it, I'm not going to read it all, but, but this is the Pharisees that came up to Jesus about divorce, and he said, in the beginning it was not so. He brings them back to Genesis 1 and 2, and he talks about how we're created in Mago Dei, in the image and likeness of, of God, by being created male and female, which we just unpacked. And then he goes on to say, but, but, he will say, the disciple said to him, if that is, is the case of man and woman not being allowed to divorce, maybe we shouldn't get married. And then Jesus takes this opportunity to say, ah, you know what, some people will not get married, but they have to make a choice of that to step right into what, what Jesus is really showing them, uh, Linda, is the power of the redemption of the body, the power that Jesus gives us to overcome the threefold concupiscence, this drag, this heritage of sin that we all came into. And he says, it, this is so powerful, what I'm going to offer to you, that you can actually skip this, this marriage here as a sign 
go right into this relationship with me so so that you can point those that get married and those around you to say, you know what, I'm going to give you the power to love one another. I'm going to give you the power. So you don't need to divorce your wives anymore because the power is there. And how do I know? Because I skipped it, St. Paul or some of the other disciples would skip this earthly marriage and go right into the heavenly marriage and then turn and pour themselves out to these other people and pull them into this love story. So let me just read that. But he said to them, Jesus, not all men can receive this, but only those whom it has been given. He's talking about continents for the kingdom. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made so, made eunuchs by other men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs, and this is what we're talking about here, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to receive this, let him receive this. It's amazing. He just brings this out and says, yep. He says, not only do I, I we, you know, we were created in the image and likeness of God through marriage, but at the end of the day, we're going somewhere and we're going to be joined in Trinitarian love story where they're not even married or given in marriage. He's kind of pointing us to the eschaton. Right, exactly. I think an important idea, too, as we reflect back on being alone before God, who is our God but that Trinitarian love? So it's a communion of persons. And always the idea that we're made for communion of persons. and in both cases, in both vocations, that is lived out fully when we understand that idea of being gift of self, so that I give myself to others, either in marriage or in continence for the kingdom, meaning that I am finding a, a new level, a different way of acting on that ability to commune with other persons, getting at a at a deep level. You know, I think of spiritual direction or even direction we get in confession that the priest is able to get to a level with us because of that ability that he understands that he's made for communion of persons as well. Yeah, and this even goes to to young people. You know, when young people are so confused today, Linda, about their identity, we're speaking about an identity, mm-hmm. about their meaning and purpose, Jesus, through this through this simple, I should say simple, right, but through this profound but, 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 but plain way he unpacked marriage in, in the beginning, in essence, he's saying this, he's saying, look, at original solitude means that Adam, or in each of us, Adam just meaning mankind, all of us, Linda, Jack, everybody listening, was created for a relationship with God, that we have this original solitude. That means we're different than all of the other animals, even all the other bodies. And we have something called reason and free will, don't we? And and that is because we're called into a relationship with God and then to turn around and give that to others, this original unity. That's really what we're talking about here to be filled. So John Paul would say again to young people, young people, you know that your life has meaning to the extent that it's given away as a gift to others. So who are you? You're a child, a a son or a daughter of God. What is your meaning and purpose to give yourself away, to be filled and give yourself away? In essence, Linda, that's all we're talking about here. I mean, if you want to get down to the core, be filled and then give that away. Yeah. Catechism 221, you know, tells us, yes, that 
Our God is that communion of persons, and we're destined to share in that mystery. And that is a beautiful way just of stating that, yes, we have that relationship with God first, because that's Mm -hmm. the only way we can be filled. And the way this connects, Jack, I'm just going to toss this in there, not to confuse where we're going, but it just sends me right to the other end where we're talking about our destiny and there's no marriage in heaven because God will be all in all in heaven too. And he's given us the chance to share in that right now by our relationship with God, the redemption, the grace that flows into us. And then that's how we live out being that gift to others. Yes, exactly. And that's why the sign of a priest or a religious sister is so important because they show us that, that again, this mystery of redemption has given us the power to actually live this out. In other words, to be so filled with divine life and love that we can actually live this out and be a gift to others, that, that every priest is called to be a spiritual father to his parish, to be actually a, a bridegroom to his, his bride. Every sister is called to be in a relationship with Christ so intense and so beautiful that she becomes a mother and a spiritual mother to, and a spiritual sister to, to everyone. You know, Mother mm-hmm. Teresa, again, comes to mind. In fact, I, I think I, I just saw, when, when it comes to mind, I just saw a picture of John Paul II and Mother Teresa together. And, and, they, and, I, and they were yes. holding hands, I think, in that picture even. And yes, you say, I've seen holy that. cow, yeah, what a beautiful, endearing thing. Here are these two spiritual uh, fathers and mothers, spiritual fathers to so many, John Paul, spiritual mother to so many, Mother Teresa. And here they were already basically walked into eternal life, this eschaton already. What an example of this. And, and this is what we draw from into our own marriages, into our own families, that we are to become, again, these this, this disciples, these fathers, these mothers, and move this out into our families. Yes, Christopher West makes a comment in his commentary, and he says that because it directly anticipates, so celibacy or continence he's talking about, it directly anticipates the eschatological reality. It Mm. is, if only in the anticipatory sense, heaven on earth. It's a sign that the kingdom of God is here. And I've got that in highlights and and Mm, starred in my book here because when, yeah, when we talk about, when we see priests and religious and that picture of Pope John Paul and Mother Teresa should be like burned in our brains because it's so beautiful. They're both saints now. And that speaks of the kingdom of God is here when you look at them and you know how they live their lives. That that is like to me the the epitome of what we're all aiming for. So as we know that uh, that tension of already but not yet. Yes, the kingdom of God is here, and so we're anticipating that eschaton, which will be our ultimate end. Another thing that he does say that ties in for me is that as we're looking at the eschaton and we're seeing that they kind of represent heaven on earth for us. He also says that when they choose to refrain from marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, it's a powerful testimony to the fact that God and God alone can ultimately fulfill that ache of solitude. 
that while marriage is a sacrament, it's a sign of our ultimate fulfillment, it is not our ultimate fulfillment. And mm. I think we've talked about that many times, that if we think our spouse is going to be the end all and be all for us, we're greatly mistaken. So he said, men and women who vow to a life of celibacy devote their yearning for communion directly towards God. So we as married individuals, and that is, of course, the the, the call that most of us have, must never forget that that ultimate communion with God is our goal for both of us. And I think that's why we say our job is to get our spouse to heaven, because that is the goal. If people could and sit back and actually understand, and really not to understand it, but meditate on what you just said. It's so important because otherwise we put so much weight on our spouse to make us happy. It's only when we sit back and we realize, no, only God can make me fully happy. Then I turn around and I don't put all that pressure on my wife or my wife doesn't put all that pressure on me. I can just go love my wife, even if she's not perfect. And she can love <laughs> me back, even if I'm not perfect. And you know what? We don't have to be mad at each other all the time. We're to your point, we're all going someplace. And so let's help each other get there. This allows love to really flow and depth of a human being allowed to go downstairs or, or, or see your spouse day after day after day. I'm upstairs in my office. So that's why I say go downstairs. My wife's office is downstairs and, mm -hmm. and, and to be able to get along. And be able to laugh and be able to, you know, not take each other so seriously that, you know, that, that I'm putting all this burden on her. John Paul, to, to kind of sum this segment up here, Linda, John Paul quotes Gaudi Mespez 24, which is one of his favorite, re really from Vatican II, he has uh, Gaudi Mespez, especially he loves 22 and 24. So I'm going to just read you 24.3, which is short, and it kind of sums this up. Indeed, and this is from John chapter 17, verses 21 and 22. Indeed, the Lord Jesus, when he prayed to the Father that all may be one as we are one, opened up vistas closed to human reason, for he implied a certain likeness between the union of the divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the unity of God's sons in truth and charity. Again, this is what we've been unpacking here, right? This likeness reveals that man, man and woman, are the only creatures on earth who God willed for themselves, and they cannot fully find themselves except through a sincere gift of themselves. And so this this is the this is the essence of who we are, to be persons of love. John Paul would say disinterested love, not that you're not interested in the other person, but you're not interested in getting anything back. You can love them for their own sake, knowing that you're drawing on the grace of God to do that. In other words, I I I don't empty myself because I'm always being filled at the fountain, the eternal fountain. Yes. And we risk making it sound easy. <laughs> we know it's not. It is very difficult. But that's why we need to constantly go back to the source of that love. And when we in the past have talked about the importance of daily prayer, we can't stress that enough that we're going to get the power to be able to love the other that way only through our sacraments and through prayer. <laughs> I just was on the phone with one of my sisters yesterday and, you know, we try to catch up of what's going on and we admit to 
the irritations that we are dealing with with our spouses. And she told me a little story about her father-in-law, who at the at the end of his life, they were actually his caretakers. And so she had a chance to have some conversations with him. He was a very prayerful man, old Italian guy, you know, he had a great sense of humor. And her mother-in-law, you know, there were issues where she was like, Papa, you know, how did you deal with some of that? And he just said, zip it. And she's like, what? He says, you know, when he would want to say things that probably would start an argument, he just tried to not say it. And then Mm -hmm. if things calm down a little bit to try to say something kind and loving. And so we talk about that all the time with, you know, that's what we have to do in our marriages. <laughs> and, you know, it's really hard. But if I think of a quick little prayer, when you're in the heat of the moment and wanting to just, I find that it really is easier. So anybody kind of struggling along those lines, you know, I can't recommend enough to don't say what you want to say, zip those lips and then you know, calm down and use that power that Christ gives us to then turn around and be kind. And that's how we're a gift to others, you know, through that kindness. Yeah. And I would just add, it's in that moment when, you know, not to stuff that down though, that what you're feeling, don't stuff it down, but open it up. And so that's a release. In other words, if I try to stuff it down, it's going to come back up to the surface. What I want to do is I want to move it out of my heart and move it right to Christ who who will take this on the cross. And once he, he takes that on the cross, he will help you carry it so that you can do exactly what you said. Uh, yeah, Linda. Yeah. You know, and, this, and the way I've uh-huh. had to do that, Jack, is, you know, when a comment was made to me that I wanted to react to, I just said, Jesus, I give this to you right now, this second. And it's like he takes it away, you know, so you're absolutely right. That it isn't it isn't stuffing it down, it's getting it out and up to the source of love. Yeah, and then all these temptations and all these things that come into our minds constantly are invitations to prayer. This is so a key to all of this, is this invitation to prayer. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in, five, in chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 27, 28, that we know so well. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What Jesus is getting bad, it may sound harsh, but what he wants is your heart. He wants you to be liberated from sin. We see this today. As you know, Linda, I do these talks called Stolen Innocent on what's going on in the schools and stuff today. If you want to see how far our culture has come, we are not just lusting and and using each other. We're lusting after and using children. And when I see this, I I realize, wow, when you reject God, when you reject these principles and say, nope, that's too difficult for me. How can I not lust after someone? And you see how this can twist and turn and get down to the very point where we will, through our lust, we will actually murder the child in the womb, uh, castrate the ones that make it out chemically and actually mutilate their very bodies, groom them for sexual activity. And you just go, wow, this is really something how it goes. The, the, yeah. the, 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 
incredible uh, reading that I did. This is from yesterday. From from well, th- w- w- this would be from Sunday's gospel. So as we're recording this, this was yesterday, but we, we this won't come out for a little while. So, uh, but anyways, this is from one Corinthians six, and this is verse starting in verse thirteen. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both and and the other. The body is not meant for immor- immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. Now, this is the point right here. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two become one. But he who is united to the Lord becomes one spirit with the Lord. Shun immorality. Every other sin which a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Do not do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Gets back to that priest, prophet, king again, that we are to glorify God in our bodies, to lift up our bodies and then lift up all of creation in thanksgiving. In the beginning, the sin, right, was not so. In the beginning, it was not so. Christ came back in to redeem us, to liberate us from sin so that we can be lovers. And I and I think back to what you said, Linda, it's not easy. But if you don't win this battle, allow Christ to help you win this battle over the heart, you just become a person of lust. You become an addict. You yes, can become a sex yes. addict, an alcoholic, drug addict. Well, you'll lust after food. You'll lust after anything. You're trying to fill the infinite desires. You'll never be free. Right. And so that thinking would be, how can I not, you know, that we're fallen? Well, the Pope says, yes, we're fallen man because of original sin. But we're speaking here of the redeemed man. You know, we have to understand that that is possible if I accept that redemption. Christopher West has a good comment here directly about this. He says that Christ calls everyone to overcome the domination of concupiscence through the redemption of the body. What you what you just described for us, Jack. Only upon experiencing a true level of freedom in this regard do either vocation, celibacy, and marriage make sense. For both flow from the same experience of the redemption of the body and of sexual desire. Both flow from the same spousal meaning of the body and the call to become a gift in and through masculinity and femininity. And that's just what St. Paul was saying Mm -hmm. there, right? It's absolutely Mm -hmm. true. So those who are thinking, you know, how can I not lust? You're stuck in fallen man and look to the redemption of the body, right? And when we don't, look what happens. So, so... (laughs) You know, when I'm at a school board meeting, it's 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 incredible how you can get called names because I don't want porn to be shown to our kids. And this is the same story that St. Paul is telling us. This is no different. St. Paul starts out the verse before that, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me. That's a saying that was then. I can do all things because, see, the Greeks separated the body and the soul. So they thought what you do, this is at that time, 
what you do in the body does not affect your spirituality, that you're not a body and a soul unity, that our bodies will drop off. This was where we disagreed with Plato, right? That that we would be liberated from our bodies and you know when we die. Well, God says, no, you guys are going to have bodies in the afterlife. I'm going to come back and you know your bodies, you, your bodies are redeemed. Well, that starts today. And so when you don't do that, what happens? You, you say, just like they do today, I, this is exactly what happens in these school board meetings. We can do whatever we want with our bodies, that our bodies are our own. And that's why we can go through these gender ideologies and these poor kids that are put through these puberty blockers and these cross-sex hormones and become chemically castrated because we can do whatever we want with even kids' bodies today. And then you say to yourself, you know, this is insanity what's happening, you know, but this is exactly what happens. You know, they, so, so the teaching today in the schools with the national sex ed standards is there is no morality. This is exactly what St. Paul, he's the opposite of what St. Paul just said. There, and they'll say exactly this to me. There is no morality. It's just my morality or my opinion and your opinion that this today is a pleasure-based system. We're teaching our kids that sex is about pleasure. It's not about morality. It's about right. seeking pleasure. And kids should be liberated to use their bodies to seek pleasure, which is the opposite of what Jesus says and what St. Paul is saying is that your bodies are a sacramental sign of God's love for you. But you see, right. Linda, if there's an enemy that hates God, where would he attack? And there is an enemy. And so where would he attack? Yeah, so true. It it seems to me that those who are so deep into that thinking, it's their worldview then that there is no purpose beyond this life, that there That's is right. no eschaton. That's right. And well, that's I, exactly if, if what it is. Mm -hmm. It's nihilism. Yeah, so, you know, it's nihilism. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly. There's no meaning and purpose, Linda. There is no yeah. meaning. And what a sad way to live. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Don't don't sign me up for that one, Linda. Don't <laughs> sign me up. I, I couldn't take me it. No wonder, no wonder we have a culture that's depressed and anxious, you know? I mean, what a terrible mm -hmm. way to, to live. Even though mm -hmm. I could see it. I by the grace of God go I. I'm no I mm -hmm. I'm no saint. You know, I, I was a former chef. I owned bars and restaurants and I mean, it was, it's crazy how, when, you know, when you open your heart to lust, and I know this as a young man, when you open your heart to lust, lust will take over your heart. It will take over your heart. You will lose it. You'll go from, from and this is why stolen innocence of kids is so important, because I know how I went from this innocent young guy, and, and, and then later on, even in my late teens, I was fairly innocent, and boom, in my early 20s, lust just start to come in and you know the culture fills your heart and once you step into that story that lust story and start using people mm. it's amazing how you become lustful and mm -hmm. it was it was it's an incredible battle on your knees to to allow that yeah. you know that redemption of the body to take place right and it is a battle of the heart there's there's yes, no question sure. and it reminds me of i think it's in Matthew 7 where Jesus says it's it's not what goes in that defiles, but what comes out of you that mm. defiles. And mm. when that lust takes over, that's what's coming out of you constantly, chronically, and you're losing that battle. So 
you know, we have to recall that I'm in this battle, whether I want to be or not. And it is that spiritual battle of the heart. But again, you know, you can remain stuck in being that fallen man and losing the battle, or you can turn to the one who has the power to redeem you and get you out and on the right track. And, so and, yeah, and we're not in a neutral ground. When you, exactly. when you were exploded onto this stage, this stage was a, was a world at war. And, and at the end of the day, you look at, look at the first Peter five, St. Peter goes, you know, I'm just going off the top of my head, but, but you know, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I mean, this is the story we came into. Look what's happening in the church right now. Linda, we, we yeah. have a fiducia supplicants right now. Yeah. This, this document passed down from the church, which, which is really talking about whether it's okay to bless same sex marriages, same sex couples. And so, you know, just to put this idea in people's minds and hearts now, you could just see the battle going on within the church. So, so here's the bride of Christ within the church, the battle going on. This is the battle going on with marriages and the families. So this is a tremendous battle. So what we're unpacking here has repercussions for all of us, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And many within the church, sadly, are losing the battle of their hearts as they're making choices that have set up scandal that many of us, you know, are greatly distressed over, but it's not a reason to leave the church. They're fallen. They're stuck in that fallenness. And it, it also is an argument that people use for our priests and religious to be married. Now we know the continence for the kingdom is a discipline not a dogma in the church. And yet that's why the Pope is addressing it so strongly here, that it is something that it's a sacrifice. It's a giving up of that normal call to marriage and the intimacy that involves. And so something only has value or sacrifice only has value if what you're giving up has great value. And the religious who are giving up that particular union that we have in marital intimacy are telling us that's of great value. I know stories of priests who talk about having had girlfriends and, you know, they were really discerning between marriage and the call to the priesthood. And it was a very, very difficult thing for them because they understood the great sacrifice that it would be. And so everyone who might be tending to, you know, be very negative against our priests and religious because of all the scandal, just need to take a step back and reflect on what the call really means. Yeah, and it has to be freely chosen again. It Absolutely. can't be coerced. It has to be freely chosen for the kingdom. As we wind down here, I, I, you know, also from Sunday, and again, this will be a week removed by the time we put this out live, but it, it was from one John, and it's when the two disciples of John the Baptist start to follow Jesus after John the Baptist recognizes Jesus, who he is, yells out the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then two of uh, Jesus' disciples, uh, two of John the Baptist's disciples, who we know are John and Andrew, start to follow Jesus. And Jesus turns to them and says, what do you seek? What do you seek? And then they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus simply says, come and see, come and see. 
And so what does Jesus know that we have forgotten? What do you seek? He knows, and here's the key to all this. He knows this is in the human heart. If this was just information, you could Google this. This would be information like any other information you can get. No, this is a person. This is in our, this is in our DNA. How does Jesus know that you desire something else? What do you seek? Because he seeks you. Because he put that desire. We, we, we are from God himself, created in the Imago day. We have this DNA of God himself flowing through our blood. He knows that our hearts seek him. And so that's when he says, what do you seek? Come and see. Come and see what? Come and see me. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for me. So if this wasn't true, Linda, Christianity would have died a long time ago. The right. reason it's alive and the reason John Paul is unpacking this, he's saying, you know, seek your heart. Listen to your heart. This is why the saints and the mystics say over and over again, you need to go into silence of prayer. You need to connect your heart with God. This is the whole thing that we were talking about today. Connect with God, draw deeply from that source of love, and then turn and become a person of love. Then you will know. Then you will know. Right. Come and see. Right. John tells us it's not that we've loved, but that he loved us first. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So, Linda, thank you so much. Love God first, You're and welcome. then you'll be able to turn around and love everybody else. Try to do it without God. This is a uh, we we will make a mess of this, and we were never supposed to do it with God without God. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were infused with God's love, gave that to each other. In the fall, we 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 breathed out, huh? We breathed this 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 beautiful love story out, and Christ comes back in and breathes it back into us. It's kind of interesting, Linda. The, the first thing Jesus does when he comes after his resurrection, comes through right through the door, a closed locked door, comes right through that door without opening it, and he breathes on the apostles there, that ruah. He breathes it back into them. That's what we want. When, when yeah. we lift, like you said earlier, when you lift up those little things that are bothering you to God, he breathes into you. And it's this breath that we have to take, but we have to get this in silence. And we have to get this when we say yes to him, our fiat to mm -hmm. him. And then we breathe in and then we breathe out this love to others. That's that's yeah. it's not it's not brain surgery. It's not easy, but it's it's not our power. It's only our power in, in union and communion with God Himself, you know. It's Amen. it's a fantastic story, isn't it? I mean, it's and you'll yeah. only know it until you, when you jump into it. You gotta get into it. Put your yeah. put your Great toe in the water. Yeah. Great description, Jack. I mean, actually, I felt that power, you know, the mm. to, to be able to draw from that to respond a loving way. And it's it's a great thing to experience. So I hope everyone is going to meditate on that and give it a try. Oh, beautiful. Hey, God bless you, Linda. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 